Bib with a Baldrin and or Barry. I'm going to offer an and or there, Barry. All right. And the reason I'm going to tell you, the reason I offer an or is because little known fact to you, the listener, Barry Rose at this moment is not in Plymouth Meeting PA. Barry, tell them where you are. At this moment, I am somewhere on a beach in Florida. It's Tuesday morning. Odds are I'm probably in uh, on Madeira Beach, but I could be on Anna Maria Beach. Haven't decided exactly which beach we're doing first, but I am Jeff. As you're, as we're, as people are listening to this episode, as you're talking, as I'm mumbling, I am enjoying the beautiful Florida weather. At least I hope it's beautiful Florida weather, Jeff. Your beautiful bald head is being yes. tan to a crisp. Golden brown. So, you know, but watch out for the, uh, you know, the sun. Yeah, you got to put a little sunblock on there. Uh, by, by this point, what do you use? Like sunblock 752 or? Uh, it's, yeah, it's got to be around there. It's like usually a 50. And I, I will say I went to today we're recording. So yesterday morning I went to the dermatologist. I was going to just suggest. Absolutely. Did a full. I try to go uh, twice a year. Even though my dermatologist says you only need to come once a year, and I asked again well, yesterday, I like said, to think you come more than once a year, Barry. <coughs> well, Thank you. I've slowed down a little bit. Things have slowed down, but with that, uh, I'm happy to say no spots causing any concern whatsoever. Oh, so, yes, you never you never want to hear your dermatologist as they're examining you. You know, yeah, like they're around uh, the back of your head or your neck, and all of a sudden you hear this, oh. What's this? That's like, uh, you know, usually a bad sign. So on this particular episode of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, our match of the week, Barry, we're going to the garden. So as we stated uh, in a previous episode, so what happened is I figured out that there were some matches from my top 100 of the 80s that we had never addressed, including this one, Barry, from Madison Square Garden. I think some of the listeners will be happy to hear us discussing the Macho Man, Randy Savage versus, oh, that's that devious million-dollar man, Ted Ted Debussy, the head cheese of the Rat Pack uh, a couple years before. But it's Savage versus DiBiase inside the confines of the steel cage, Barry. Oh, boy. Besides that, we're offering up a movie review. I had a chance to watch this movie, Barry, called The Raid Redemption. It's a movie from Indonesia, and holy shit. Barry, safe to say there are a couple of high-level action scenes in this movie. Yeah, maybe one or fifty. This is—I think this is one of the most intriguing action movies I probably have seen in a while, and it's a great concept, right? Like, you know, I, I think I made a comparison to Bruce Lee's Game of Death, which I think that there is loosely, but at the same time, this is a really original action movie, and I loved it. Yeah, good stuff. Besides all that. We are going to be featuring an interview with uh, an old friend of mine, Anthony Jeanette, A.J. Slambino. Uh, he uh, was part of a tag team called the Vandals uh, back in the uh, South Florida indie day. But this is a guy that also, besides working indies in South Florida, I, I think he did some time. Uh, was it uh, Impact or ROH? Do you remember right off the top of your head? Impact. Okay. Uh, he was there. So, uh, you know, and then as A.J. Slambino, he was also uh, in different promotions. A guy that's been out there. But the reason that we're talking to AJ is not just his wrestling career, uh, which is interesting. AJ had a chance, uh, just very like one of these things that sort of falls into place for you. So he tells us a story, Barry, about how he's in Publix one day and he looks over and, he, you know, they have the, the section where you have your Mexican food, your Asian food, a different uh, I, I hate to say foreign. We don't want to use the word foreign object, baby. A, a, an international section. That's a better way of putting it. 
uh, and he notices there's a large quantity of foods that are primarily from, uh, let's just say, the UK, Barry. And he's like, wow, I, I never realized there was this big a market for foods from Great Britain and the UK. And he takes a picture of it and he posts it online. And he apparently had just before this had joined TikTok as a way of having fun with his two kids. He posts his comment on TikTok and he says it's like it completely goes through the roof. He's blown up on TikTok. So then he goes back to Publix, takes out uh, all these different uh, varieties of food that are UK-centric, if you will. And all of a sudden, the guy has 300,000 subscribers. It's an incredible story, Barry. Uh, and I can't wait to let the fans listen to that. Uh, besides all that, something that is, I can tell you, not centric to Barry Rose and myself, huh? we will be offering up a, a survey that I read online about different countries and the varying penis sizes of the gentlemen oh, that live in these countries. You know, Barry and I and, and Sweet oh, of boy. Are, are, are manly men, very massive, uh, you know, uh, in that department. All of us could be in adult films, let's be honest, uh, except the, uh, the viewers would be extremely disappointed, I think I can safely say. So, Barry, let's start things off. Before we go to our match of the week, I just want to offer up a little story that I read recently online, and I, I said to myself, hey, friggin' Rose is going to want to hear about this. Okay. Two gentlemen that we both know, uh, members of our group, I will say, recently said that the movie Caddyshack, Barry, overrated. Would you like to respond? Are you naming names? No, nah, I'm going to keep it to myself. Though if you ask me privately, I will definitely out them. Gotcha. And I believe you did out one of them because I remember we had we had a conversation regarding one of the names, but the second one escapes me. I, you know, I don't. How do you respond when somebody says Caddyshack, which I think is universally regarded as one of the greatest comedy film comedies of all time, but also of that era that absolutely, you know, you go back to uh, the 80s and the 70s. And I think it was the early 80s on on Caddyshack, right? Yes, uh, I believe 1980s it, when it came out. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, Caddyshack is it's it's iconic. It's bigger. I than, if you do some sort of survey on the top ten movies with the most quotes that you can pull from a movie, that that has to be in there. Uh, you know, comedy movies. Uh, you know, but you think about all the stuff Saturday Night Live. Uh, you know, centric or related. That you know, Animal House. Uh, you know, Stripes where there were some former Saturday Night Live member there, and they're just one-liners, you know, and this, of course, had Rodney Stick and Dangerfield attached to it also, you know. So just, uh, and in fairness, I think one of the two guys did say uh, there's a lot of funny quotes, but uh, they weren't a big fan of the film itself. Just, you know, they realized there were a lot of quotes that people use and stuff like that. But I saw that, and Barry, I was outraged, and I wanted to bring it to your attention. It's a, it's such a great movie too, and we haven't talked about you know we always talk about the Blues Brothers and Animal House and Stripes, which are what I consider the big three of that era. But maybe I'm mistaken, Jeff. Maybe it's the big four, and Caddyshack should be in there as well. Yeah. So okay. All that being said, Barry, now it's time to talk about our match of the week. Oh. You know, it's been a hot tick since we've been back to the old WWF. This is back when it was, I believe, the WWF. We are going. Uh, July 22nd, 1988, just past the anniversary of this match, Barry. The Macho Man, Randy Savage versus the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, inside the confines of the old blue steel cage that they used in the WWF. Tell the folks what you thought about this match, Barry. 
So if we're looking at matches between great wrestlers who are hampered by a promotion, this is the match, Jeff. This is almost, in my opinion, you've got legit two of the best workers in the U.S. at the time. You could make a case maybe that maybe DiBiase was the best worker in the United States at this time. You know, it's 88. Barry Windham certainly could come up, you know, even Flair at this stage. But DiBiase really was at a different level and had been for years. Savage right there as well. So really solid match. And I, and I like this match where I found there the negatives with this match. And look, let's be honest. If you're putting DB, has DiBiase ever had a bad match? Uh, well. Let's be honest, when he got, uh, you know, a few years past this, was starting to have some back issues, uh, the quality of his matches declined. At this but, point, but they weren't bad, right? No, no, no. This It wasn't like he suddenly became, you know, uh, right. a complete uh, travesty in the ring. But, you know, injuries, the travel schedule, they all took the toll on D, uh, DiBiase. Just to go along with what you're saying, DiBiase and the WWF, was certainly the marriage of a great wrestler, a great performer, and a great gimmick. You got to give him credit for that. Oh, I do. And he also, he took this gimmick and he ran with it. Absolutely. Uh, and, and he really, look, if you say to Mo, prior to this, if you had said, what, what, how do you know Ted DiBiase? We're talking Black Love. We're talking teaming with Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Going to the Federation, and certainly he got the largest audience he's ever seen as far as watching him. But at the same time, he was a raging success in this character. Absolutely. Had he not gotten hurt, I think he could have continued to work, whether here or somewhere else. I think he would have continued to work and probably well into his 50s would have been my guess because he was, I think he was a guy that was smart enough and had that ring IQ that he could have tailored and altered the way that he was working to make it, you know, where he could have had a much, much longer career hate the fact that it's a WWE cage match. They literally are are almost useless. There's very little there that this cage seems to offer anybody. So I, I was never a fan. I remember seeing some horrible cage matches with Hulk Hogan just going, why even bother? Why, why even bother with this cage? Superstar Billy Graham on commentary. So this is interesting to me. And well, wait, wait, wait. Let, let me just interrupt oh, you. Oh, sure. Because, oh, trust me, this is going to be uh, uh, something that I discuss. On commentary for this match, inside a Madison Square Garden, we had Roger Kent, longtime <laughs> AWA guy, yes, superstar Billy Graham, and Lord Alfred Hayes. You can so, continue because, boy, will I have thoughts on that commentary team. Yeah, and and you shared that privately, and those thoughts are accurate. But uh, accurate. I'm doing uh, my uh, Elmo Thank you. Fudd. They're very accurate. Thank you. I'll do the Elmo Fudd for everybody. <laughs> uh, but with that, Graham wasn't terrible. Like I went into this and, and I'm like, I heard him talk for about 30 seconds. And I said, you know, where does a guy who's arguably one of the greatest promos in the history of this business become such a lousy commentator? And truth be told, he really wasn't that bad. The other two, I'll let you discuss as that comes up. But yeah, I, I was kind of like, and look, Graham is a guy I've been critical of. I, I you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of a, uh, of his actions in the last uh, 20 or 30 years, but really wasn't terrible. Uh, superstar, super fan, Vladimir on camera. Did you happen to catch that? I did not. So I, I was watching this match and actually paying attention to it. And uh, Vladimir, and I believe a documentary came out on Vladimir 
where he is considered the WWE super fan. And they, so, so they, it wasn't the Robin Williams character from uh, Moscow on the Hudson that we discussed. Vladimir Ivanov. No, it was not. <laughs> Uh, they don't even look anything alike each other, which is uh, that's the other aspect of it. But he's on camera only for about 10 seconds. But it's interesting. I, I actually saw him and caught that. I believe he's what, 40 years of going to live events. And uh, I think it's, you know, look, more power to him if that's what he's in. The the star of this, besides DiBiase and Savage, the crowd, this fucking crowd is like they're seeing it's like a J- Japanese crowd. Like they are hot. They are. This is happening. They are absolutely into it. And Jeff, they're so into it that at the ending. There's a fan, there's a guy wearing a red bandana on his head, starts to climb the cage. And what's happening is Savage is trying to get out of the cage. He's climbed. Savage is the baby face. He's because they have that rule in the WWF that you win the match if you get out of the cage. That's how all cage matches should be as well. I I feel I, I I always I just think you need to have a different rule. But again, it's wrestling. What does it matter? But with that, Virgil's up there and he's punching Savage. A fan gets up there. He's within inches of Savage and uh, and, and Virgil. And it's great to hear the commentary because the commentary immediately. You never want to attempt this. Fans should never get involved. So I thought that was really odd. They pull him down, but they here's the odd thing. We've seen this many times. When fans get involved, they usually get the shit beat out of them. They get dragged to the back where they get the shit beat out of them a second, third, or fourth time. This fan doesn't get thrown out, and you can see him in the crowd. He's like in the second row. He uh, returns to his seat, which is yeah, absolutely hilarious. He was climbing at the top of the cage. Where the now. fuck was, was Richard Dawson on this evening? Because he wasn't was working he? security, that's for security. sure. Security. So security pulls you off of the cage as you're assaulting the wrestler for the most part. And just make sure that you safely get back to your second row seat. Makes no sense. That was odd. But with it, I really did enjoy this match, too. It only goes 10 or 11 minutes, maybe 12 minutes. It's super quick. But, you know, these two guys. But, Jeff... I throw this hypothetical at you. And I know that we've discussed this with Savage, maybe DiBiase as well, but I know we have Savage. If these two guys who I don't think, DiBiase especially, but these two guys really weren't capable of having horrible matches. Savage had a program with George Steele. Make with that what you want. But that, you know, George Steele wasn't a, a wrestler. He was a worker. He was for entertainment purposes, but he wasn't having great matches and no one would ever accuse him of that. But if the if the NWA at this time in 88, which was kind of a critical period right there, if the NWA had gotten Savage and DiBiase together and had taken both and brought them to the NWA, could that have changed the course of what things were happening in this country, not talking about worldwide rights or anything else, but in the U S could that have changed? Certainly the in ring work in the WWF would greatly suffer. Cause I don't think there were a lot of guys, Bret Hart's one I could think, right. But he was still on a tag team at this stage, but great singles wrestlers in the Federation in 1989. Who else did you have besides these two? And you may not know that answer because I don't. If only someone had written a book speculating on this sort of scenario, Barry, 
Hmm. Who mm. can we think of that may have Wait, done something? Hold what, on. Uh, Wade check. Keller? Wade Keller? No, nah, no, nah, you wouldn't get Wade Keller. He's too much of a journalist, by God, Derek. Journalist. What was the guy that used to write for Wade Keller that got I, banned? Uh, 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 Brother Jeff Steele. Uh, Jeff no, Steele. Th- Maybe it was Jeff Steele. I don't know. Uh, there was another guy that uh, said some There was another guy. That, uh, whose name we can't mention on the air uh, yes. based on uh, Arcadian Vanguard mandates, <laughs> but I digress. So. Yes, you do. Let me discuss this match. So, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, I suddenly realized, you know, uh, that the start of the, this very fine podcast back in the day was based on us talking about my top 100 of the 80s. Okay. And holy shit, I realized, you know, there's a, there's about 15 matches that we never talked about. Uh, and I don't know if the, at the time we, first started doing these shows, I couldn't find them on YouTube or Daily Motion or whatever. And so here I am sitting there realizing this, and I sit down on the old couch, and I'm starting to do a Google and a YouTube search, and I start locating uh, these matches, and this was one that I located. And so I had not watched this match probably in 25 years. And um, it's funny because one of the things I wrote uh, these were all matches that were listed in the 19, the venerable 1989 Wrestling Observer Yearbook, Barry. And what I had written in my notes uh, in that article was the normally sedate garden crowd uh, was really fired up, which apparently if you do a Google search on my uh, my top 100 of the 80s, uh, there are some people that basically said, what the fuck is this guy talking about? The normally sedate garden crowd at, you know. What was I thinking 40, uh, 35 years ago or whatever when I wrote this article? I don't know. But, you know, I, I made a, a sort of an offhand remark about the fact. And it, it's probably more with a garden crowd fired up for matches like, you know, Patterson and Slaughter, Slaughter and the Sheik, uh, you know, uh, the great San Martino matches, of course. But, you know, let's be honest. There were also matches where, yeah, let's just say they weren't incredibly into it. But I made a broad generality and it was probably stupid of me to say that but let me talk again about the commentary crew here of roger kent uh billy graham and lord alfred hayes now superstar billy graham one of the all-time great heels uh in the wrestling business especially uh during the 1970s correct mundo oh absolutely okay lord alfred hayes is a guy that basically became a caricature he became a joke in the Federation as sort of uh, Vince's flunky on, uh, you know, Tuesday night Titans and all that kind of stuff. But Lord Alfred Hayes was a hell of a heel back in the day, Barry. Oh, Lord Alfred Hayes, when he came to Florida in 1980, I had never heard anyone ever speak like that. And when we saw British wrestlers, we, I don't think we ever had a British heel in Florida. First off guys like Tony Charles. I think he was from, where was he from? Um, I, Wales. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I mentioned Wales <laughs> exactly. lately. He was from Wales, but he would, he was from the UK. And I, I guess I should say, right. British UK, but we had never seen uh, a UK heel and all of a sudden Lord Alfred Hayes. And he, he spoke with this accent. It was like an aristocrat and he was really solid, but here was the deal. He was taken very seriously. He was no joke. This was not a guy that appeared to have a sense of humor. He was a cutthroat. And even in West Texas, when he was out in West Texas, there was a match he had, and he got such a push where he beat Dory Funk Jr. for the NWA World's title, but the decision was reversed. 
they, of course, played that into an angle that they worked off of for months. But this is the level of talent that that or that Lord Al Hayes had. Yeah, he was he was a great heel. He was, uh, you know, very uh, arrogant, like just to the the max. Uh, and he was so well thought of as a guy, uh, you know, giving promos and speaking that when Bobby Heenan uh, left the AWA for that uh, almost a year and went down to Atlanta for a year that uh, Vern brought in Al Hayes to be his lead manager, his lead heel manager. Yes. And so, you know, that that's when uh, Vern's territory was absolutely on fire. And so that speaks very well to what Vern thought of Alfred Hayes as a, uh, you know, a, a figure uh, to do promos, a managerial, uh, you know, figure. So the fact that you see guys like Billy Graham and, uh, and Lord Alfred Hayes sort of like is, you know, just so much less than what they were. Uh, is really kind of sad. Uh, Roger Kent is just, he's, he's not good. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, what's your excuse for Roger Kent? Yeah, no, he, he just, uh, you know, yeah, just not good. Uh, you know, you were talking about Billy Graham being, uh, you know, you thought very solid on the mic. Uh, the one thing that really was distracting to me was Billy Graham's obsession during the match with Miss Elizabeth and her weight. You know, he yes. kept talking about her need to, she needs to bulk up. She needs to put on weight. I don't know if he had seen her like, you know, purging in the bathroom or something like that. But, you know, he was just made a point over and over again of talking about. Of how course much- he did. That Billy Graham was subliminally chiding her for not being on steroids as uh, he probably, does on yes. social media, as he'll do now. He'll he talks about smaller build guys. I think Ricochet was one. Ricochet's a worker in the WWE, and he was basically saying steroids would help this guy. Billy Graham's interesting, too, with the whole steroid thing, because even though steroids have caused him irreparable damage to his body. Didn't he just lose like a foot? He loses. He's lost everything. I don't know what he's what what body parts he still has. But nickname's going to be Stumpy. You know, I mean, there you go. Yeah. yeah, Eileen. uh, Right. Matt. Ding. Ding. Bob. But with that, he. steroids completely in many ways, I think ruined his life yet. He's still a champion for steroids and will stick up for them. So I wonder if that was his way because this was aired on television on, I'm assuming prism or one of the networks back there or the MSG network, that that was his way of saying she needs baby to get in the gym and lift weights and take the steroids. Well, you know, uh, Barry, uh, I think you and I, I uh, should take uh, one of our photos that has been previously taken, send it out to uh, the superstar uh, so that he can chide both of us for not being on the gas, you know? So uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to point yourself. out, yeah. <laughs> so uh, hey, so you have another, you have a different version of gas. That's a problem. Barry. Yes. Yes. So the other guy that I want to talk about, because, you know, we have, uh, when he deserved it and there's been more than one occasion when he deserved it, we have shit on Virgil. Okay. Uh, yes. for the pandering and autograph shows and all that other kind of stuff. But my question to you that I asked privately, Barry, is this the best version of Virgil that we've ever seen? Because I thought he was absolutely fantastic in this match. He was, he was exactly what he had to be and be successful at it. So the answer is yes. And we discussed this off air and Virgil, look, he gets a lot of shit because Let's be honest. Once he turned babyface against Ibiase, no, it was over. So whatever he's done the last 30 years or whatever that 35 years didn't matter. But as 
the whatever the what what was his job? What was he with? with it was the with, bodyguard or, or bodyguard the, uh, artist? Uh, whatever yeah. it was, he yeah. did it right. He did it perfectly. Yeah, and he is like uh, I don't know if he did like a a, a bump in the dressing room. That's a your drug vernacular there, uh, uh, oh. Barry. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Uh, you know, did, did a paging, little paging uh, day flare. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, did a little toot ski right. or something like that. But I mean, he was bouncing around like a pinball at ringside. He was interacting with the fans. He was part of the match. He was climbing up on the cage. My man was on fire. And I was like watching this match going, oh, you know, as great as Savage and DiBiase are, what the fuck has gotten into Virgil, man? He is moving around because let's be honest, part of his character, you know, like when he was standing next to DiBiase while DiBiase was cutting promos, was to stand there with a scowl on his face and not say a damn word. I, You know, I can't even remember if I've ever remember hearing what his voice sounded like with him cutting a promo, uh, you know, not that he would, you know, blow anybody away with his promo ability, but that was part of his gimmick was to stand there, scowl at the camera and not say a damn word, but show the arms, which, you know, he had, I don't know, maybe talked to superstar Billy Graham at some point in his life. I don't know. I'm just going to say maybe, but uh, no, he was fantastic in this match. DiBiase is a bump machine in this match. Savage, of course, this was still when he was in his prime, uh, as you said, two of the best workers at, at the very least, the best worker in the uh, best workers in this country. Uh, you know, they were both fantastic. Uh, what would it have been like if Savage and DiBiase had left and, uh, and joined, you know, honestly, it would have been great to watch matches with Savage and DiBiase uh, against guys like flair and, and, and people like that, uh, or, or Ricky steamboat in the NWA. But we also have to remember that, uh, in inevitably, somebody in Crockett would have fucked up the situation. Uh, you know, this was when Dusty was kind of starting to hit the skids as a booker. His time was over. You know, they did not have a really, uh, anyone in the, in the, in the background that was going to take, you know, I shouldn't say that couldn't have done it, that wouldn't have uh, gotten the job and, uh, faced the inevitable locker room issues that were created. And, you know, cause if you recall, whether it was flair Sullivan, a cornet, you know, whether it was a committee, it was always somebody wasn't happy with their role. Somebody was bitching about the way things were going on. So, yeah, they really needed a strong booker. By God, what they needed was some fan from South Florida to be hired by Ted Turner when he took over the company and take control of the booking, Barry. But I digress. Yeah, no. And again, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, and I don't think it would have changed. I would have said, well, and it wouldn't have changed that anyways, because I was going to say, well, it would have given the upper hand for in-ring quality to the NWA at the time, but I, they already had that. But I think if you took away these two pieces, it really would, as fans, it would have given us, I mean, you know, it, it just, it, it would have been almost like Christmas coming early because again, the quality of matches, I don't think it would have changed a lot of the viewership of the WWE, WWF, whatever they were at the time, because I think people were still tuning in to see what the product was being offered. And I remember, and, and I think you see this now with AEW and stuff, like even a guy like, uh, like Brian Danielson, when he makes mainstream news, and when I say mainstream, like the New York Post, they may write an article on him, and they just wrote an article on CM Punk and some, but they always refer to him as ex-WWE star. Not yeah. like current current AEW world's champion, you know? It's interesting. Well, uh, yeah, and let's be honest. Uh, the WWE is, ba you know, their uh, home base, quote-unquote, is 
you know, is the media mecca of this country and maybe of the world. So there are, you know, AEW could end up getting this sort of contract that like uh, the WWE has with Fox and they still have that, you know, uh, the WWE has that built in 35, 40 year advantage of, you know, being the, uh, the first company to go national quote unquote uh, the first you know, company that really made their wrestlers into superstars because, of course, you know, nobody was ever a big superstar before the WWF uh, came along, uh, right, Barry? I, <laughs> well, so, you yes. know, but so they would always have that built-in advantage. Uh, they had a uh, a tremendous PR department giving the devil uh, its due for what they had. So, you know, who knows? It's fun to speculate. We'll post a link to this match on our page at uh, Breaking k with Bowdrin and Barry. It's a fun watch. DiBiase. Savage just, uh, you know, doing great stuff. Virgil at ringside is awesome. And holy shit, as Barry mentioned, the fan at ringside that decides to become part of the show that somehow did not get his ass kicked by New York's finest, Richard Dawson, I blame you. Okay, Barry, we're back again. Guess what? It's time to discuss another movie of the week. Boy, this becomes a weekly thing, Barry. Our shows are going to be three fucking hours. Brian's not going to be happy. So this week... Our movie of the week is a movie that I happened upon. Uh, it was on HBO Max one night, and I said, oh, I've heard really good things about this movie. Barry, I'm talking about The Raid Redemption. And who does it star? Anyone that you've heard of? Of course not, because it's like from Indonesia. The star of the movie is Iko Uwas, who oh. apparently has made other really – he made a really good movie that I saw. We didn't review it here on the show but it was a movie. Oh, now I got to find it. It was called, hold on. Uh, The Night Comes for Us, which is an excellent movie if you ever uh, are out there looking for a good action film to watch. But here in this movie, uh, The Raid Redemption, uh, the the actor I just mentioned, Eco, he is part of a SWAT team that is going into an apartment building that is essentially a hideout for a gang of like uh, drug dealers and all this kind of stuff. And they have been told, you got to go in there and and you're going to extract this guy. But he's got all his little cronies protecting him in this apartment complex. And let's just say shit goes sideways. Barry, tell the folks what you thought of the raid redemption. Yeah, shit goes sideways. And guess what? We're the lucky recipients of all that (laughs) shit going sideways. This is a really fun movie. And it is currently playing on HBO Max. I believe the only version available currently is the dubbed version. So the, there are no subtitles with this. And I think there's a, a Raid 2 yes. also. Which, amazingly, looks- I haven't seen yet, but gets higher rated on IMDb. So I would be watching part two, you can bet your ass. Absolutely. And then I think there's an American version that somebody remade. So it looks like there may be two more raids in it for us, but... As Jeff said, it is this team goes into a building to uh, to get the the lead henchman, the lead gangster, whatever he is, and it's all the shit that they encounter. And no surprise here, they wind up killing most of the police officers, and it becomes really on the shoulders of just a couple. How can they get this guy? But how can they get out of this building? Because the lead heel has put a bounty on them. And is gone. You on the can't microphone. put a bounty on a man's head. That's good. They he basically says that whoever can capture and kill these cops 
or kill and capture, whatever it is, that they'll be living rent-free the rest of their lives. So a lot of these cops wind up dead, but the the lead does not, and it's what he has to go through. And it's so cool. It's almost like that Bruce Lee movie, which I think was Game of Death, if you remember that movie. And Bruce Lee had to go through a house with different levels to fight different opponents. This is... This obviously is a spin on it in a sense, and it's much more violent, much more graphic. But there are some great characters here, and I don't, I don't know shit about uh, Indonesia. I can tell you that it, it looks really interesting to me because, you know, like the the one of the guys who I think is the lieutenant looks like Robert Klein, the actor. You know, it's like, but he's Indonesian. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I somehow. They they look Asian, but some look German, and there's like Caucasians that are speaking Indonesian. So it's very interesting. But there, and we, you and I talked about this. There is a character in here named Mad Dog, and Mad Dog is the right hand of the henchman of the main the main heel, the main villain. And there is a fight scene where Mad Dog takes on two brothers, and I I won't spoil anything, but he takes on two brothers. In this uh, in this scene, and I believe it's called the torture room and the fight scene that takes place, I think is maybe I I know we did fight scenes, best fight scenes, top five fight scenes. And, and we you, may- know, you, you saying that uh, that's what I recall, too. We had done an episode where we discussed our, our top five favorite yeah. fight scenes in movies. And as I watched this. I was like, holy shit, this this scene absolutely belongs uh, in one of our top five. Right, because, right. Because yeah. it's not just a great fight scene. It's the, the fact that it goes on for so fucking, you know, longer than you think. It's it's not like long where you go, oh, my God, is this going to. No, it's just, you know, a lot of a lot of scenes like, you know, where you have people fighting. It's like relatively quick, maybe 30 seconds. This goes on for a few minutes. And it's like you've seen these guys take, a, to use a wrestling term, taking these bumps. And you're like, holy shit, how's he going to get up from that? And then they get up and they keep fighting and they're hitting each other with everything they fucking got. And it's two guys against this one guy who has very said his name is Mad Dog. And he is a tremendous heel in this. That's all I'm going to say. Continue, Barry. He is. Uh, he's he's these that we always talk about the next level heel. This yes. He's the next level heel. This is this is not something that you see every day. He's that good. And he's a little guy. It's not like we're talking about a gigantic guy, but he is just a tremendous martial, tremendous, tremendous <laughs> martial. <laughs> You're quite tremendous. Never, never drink before you record. Tremendous. Well, maybe coming up on a Patreon though. But other than that, <laughs> tremendous martial artist. And this scene, I think the beauty of this scene is that this is not a quick one too. This is there is a lot of pain being inflicted here. I will say with the great fight scenes of all time. You turned me on to what I think is one of the great fight scenes, and that was, I believe, Eastern State with Vigo Mortensen. Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises. Eastern State being the local penitentiary up here. So I get them confused. Eastern Promises. But that scene that takes place in the sauna or spa. Bathhouse, yeah. Oh, fuck. I mean, that was. knife fight. Oh, that's that was worth the price of admission. I would say those two are probably my favorite fight scenes now. Anyways, this movie, highly recommended, not for everyone. If you like a lot of action, if you like blood and guts, if you, you know, this is your movie. If you like kung fu films, 
this is absolutely the film for you. So uh, let me just uh, tell you, the movie came out uh, 2011. It's an hour and 41 minutes. Uh, the very beginning of the movie, uh, there's a scene where he's talking to his wife and he's talking to his father. And then they get on the, like, uh, the uh, it's not really a bus. It's the vehicle, the SWAT team's vehicle that's taking them to the location. And they're discussing what they're going to do, how they're going to go in and extract this uh, uh, this villain, you know, from his apartment complex that he lives in. And that all takes about, oh, 10 minutes. And after that 10 minutes is over, literally, you have about an hour and 25 minutes where it's nothing but fucking action. You don't have a moment to breathe. And you're just sitting there going, holy fuck, do I get a little moment to breathe here? And no, you don't. That there are There is gunplay. There is, uh, you know, martial arts. There is axe, uh, you know, axes to the head. Uh, Benji, do not let Antonio watch this movie until you screen it first because there's some pretty incredible deaths. There is a scene, Barry, I don't know if you remember this, where a guy is like thrown over a balcony and he lands on his back. Oh, and the way the, uh, I don't know how they did that, the way the actor has his back bent or whether they, it was like some sort of, uh, CGI or or whether it was like a, just a dummy that, because people's backs don't bend that way and when I first Dude. saw that I was just like oh my god how did they fucking do that there are some of the best fight scenes that you'll ever see in a movie you know uh, a guy whose movie I've seen but you know I, I've done uh, movies uh, by guys like you know not only Bruce Lee I, I've seen movies by a guy named Tony Ja who's a sure. tremendous martial artist and then I uh, I talked I think before about the Ip Man series. Uh, that I've watched. Who's the guy? There was a story of the guy who was Bruce Lee's trainers. And these are all tremendous. But this movie, boy, I can't wait to watch part two because as good as this movie was, if the raid part two is better as it is listed on IMDb, you know, holy shit. Uh, what a thrill ride you're in for. If you are looking for action, uh, you know, guess what? Don't watch Die Hard for the fifth time. Watch the raid, you know, redemption because holy shit is incredible. And so we reached out had a couple of our uh, brother shippers who decided to send us a movie review. I'm going to read the first one, which is from a first-time reviewer, I believe, Barry, Jonathan Campbell. Oh. And Jonathan says, when I saw the Facebook post about doing a movie review, I was intrigued. When I was contacted, I was elated. Uh, Jonathan, very doesn't take much to get him elated, apparently, Barry. When I <laughs> saw that I was to, what I was to do a review to, less than that, the movie The, Ra the Raid is a movie I've heard about, but I had never actually seen. Or so I thought when I pulled the movie up on HBO and I saw a tiny bit of line showing that I attempted to watch it before, which isn't a good sign. I have no recollection of seeing this movie, which is great because I can give you an unbiased review on and thoughts. Just a word on my review philosophy. Oh, apparently he's got a philosophy bear. Oh, well, excuse yeah, us. you know, I like that. I'll be straightforward about what I like about a movie, compare the given movie, and let you make your decision. I'm pretty straightforward. Mid late mid to late forties movie fan. I like action, dialogue, decent storytelling. Don't make me regret wasting the past two hours, and I'll generally be happy. This guy's awful fussy, Barry. My continuum. Well, sure, he's philosopher. Yes. Yeah. In my continuum, excellent use of the word continuum, Barry. I think that's the first time we've ever used that word. So congratulations, Jonathan. Uh, goes from all dialogue, the movie Clerks, to all action, John Wick. Thumbs up on your uh, John Wick uh, comment there, Jonathan. With Tarantino being the best I've seen in merging of the two. Uh, Barry, he's a Tarantino fan. I like this guy. Yeah, this guy. Barry likes this guy, yeah. yeah. Regarding the given movie, I've read it was one of the first of the new generation of Asian action movies. 
not my genre. And I can say I generally dislike dubbed movies, mostly because it seems they don't even try to get a reasonable voice for the character. I will give a bonus nod to uh, Barry. Here's another one we're going to like. I'll give a bonus nod to Squid Game because the story was so intriguing and enthralling that I got so sucked in it didn't matter. Anyway, the movie's greatest deficit is that I haven't seen in it. Watching it so late in the game, it looked to me a mid-level cross between John Wick and Judge Dredd, the good one. Solid, realistic action and fight sequences. The attempt was made to make an emotional connection with the main character, Rama, hard-boiled Sergeant Jaka, think Tom Sizemore, and Lieutenant Wahoo, and uh, not Wahoo, Wahoo McDaniel, his name is oh. <laughs> Lieutenant Wahoo, uh, who looks like Chris Jericho-era Ricky Steamboat and the equivalent of a bunch of Starfleet-era red shirts as they go floor to floor to take control of a fortified apartment building from a drug lord. Honestly, some nice kills, solid if unspectacular fight scenes. I don't know what movie this guy was watching. Decent plot twist. If I'd seen it before, the other mentioned movies, I may have liked it more. But it was a bunch of stuff I'd seen before, and the overdubbed voices were war on me. I'm sure there were lovers of the genre that will defend it, like us, Barry. Uh, and for those that like this kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff they'll like. As a generic popcorn-eating movie fan, I give the movie two stars based on the below scale. One star, I'm dumber having watched this. Two star, I can think of things I could have done instead of watched this. Three stars, this was a reasonable use of my time and money, but I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it again. Four stars, I would definitely make plans to watch this again or stop to watch it if I came across it. Five stars, a classic. I would consider watching it again immediately. Thank you for your review, Jonathan. Two stars. He can think of things, Barry, that he would have rather done than watch this movie. Mm, well, what would that? And I, I'd watch a Tarantino film, maybe. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So, uh, Barry, I think you have a review from Billy Enix. I do. Billy Enix. Uh, and I, I should say, too, I met Billy last year at, uh, at a fan fest in the Carolinas. Nice Good guy. guy. Yeah, good guy. And uh, I don't think he he had been a part of the brothership until that. He was uh, it probably still is good friends with uh, Roman Gomez and hold Terry Holbrooks. So, no, no, just the opposite. I think okay, that friendship checking. is what landed Billy into our group. So always grateful for that. But Billy sending in this review, the raid redemption was a mile a minute action gore fest that looked like a cross between your typical Stallone Schwarzenegger action film of the 1980s and an old style Bruce Lee kung fu flick. If you are looking for action, this is for you. If you're looking for a deep plot twist filled movie, don't bother. I noted initially that I understood what they were doing, but not why they were doing it. The fight sequences were very entertaining, though not very realistic. Okay, they were high flying and brutal, but no one would be able to survive one of them and continue, much less keep doing it for over an hour. I mean, at that point, and this is me, obviously, you got it's like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Great movie, fun to watch, but people aren't like floating through the air as they're fighting with you for like two minutes. Right. So is he trying to say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is not realistic. I think he is. But well, let's be honest. We're all here based off of we wouldn't be here if we weren't based off of a love for professional wrestling. Let's be honest. That's not really realistic. You ever see a street fight with arm drags and drop kicks? It doesn't. Wait, are you trying to say in a street fight, no one would throw a Von Eric discus punch? 
I would you, love. You wouldn't, you wouldn't try to apply the claw. Oh, the claw, right? You you wouldn't you wouldn't lock somebody into the spinning toe hole. <laughs> yes. So yes, much like professional wrestling, this movie does take artistic liberties, but you have to suspend disbelief in order to enjoy it. So after a while, I found myself losing interest in the action as it was total action overload. I can't say I dislike the movie, but I doubt I will seek it out again in the future. Love, Billy. Love? Well, well, he didn't say that. I just well, I was going to say, Billy really trying to ingratiate himself here. <laughs> so uh, our last review is by Mark Wiggins. He writes, uh, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Okay, this was like New Jack City meets Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, the Assault on Precinct that's 13, good. that's a very a good reference there yes. because there is a lot of similarities to that. Uh, it opens with a van full of cops headed to what looks like a drug fortress apartment building in New Jack City, and they silently make their way inside, but a spotter sees them and called and called it out. The lieutenant then shoots the spotter! Exclamation point. And now the fun begins. The kingpin has cameras everywhere. He's emphasizing everywhere. And he sees the incursion. Ooh, incursion. Very. Very nice. Encourage it, yeah. Good use of that word. And makes an announcement to the inhabitants, most of whom work for him, to get the cops. Under heavy fire, it turns out there is no backup coming because the lieutenant didn't let anyone know they were going. This was a rogue operation. Anytime you can use the word rogue or rogue operation, that's that's good, yeah. They were trapped in the building, outnumbered and outgunned like an assault on uh, Blech, easy for me to say, Barry, like an assault on Precinct 13. As their numbers dwindle, it is revealed, uh, spoiler alert for uh, those of you that might be considering watching this film, that the lieutenant is dirty. Yep. And the lead cop has a brother. On the other side, the kingpin's enforcer fought the brothers to almost a standstill until a piece of fluorescent bulb to the throat did him in. That was a good kill scene, by the way, Barry. The fluorescent bulb to the throat. Uh, did him in. The lieutenant makes his way to the kingpin's room and tries to leverage a deal, but the kingpin laughed and said, they sent you here to die. I know which cops to pay, and they want me here. Frustrated, the lieutenant kills the kingpin. They Then uh, then tries to shoot himself, punk, but his gun is empty. The last two cops arrest him, and the brother escorts uh, them to the gate out. It was submitted and had a train to Busan vibe without the zombies. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I and the wife enjoyed it. He, he let his wife watch it with him. That's that's quality, Mark. Good that stuff. That is. I like that. You know, uh, he was surprised how much he and his wife enjoyed the film. So we have one thumbs up, one thumbs down, one thumbs in the middle. You know, I can accept people that, that don't always uh, like the movies that we recommend. But Barry and I, much like Siskel and Ebert, which one are you? We're Siskel? men. Yeah. We're men. We're manly men. And this is like a manly man uh, film because there is a lot of the body count, Barry, got to be in the hundreds. What do you think? Easy in the hundreds, too. And it's a it's such a high body count. And it's uh, yeah, it's tremendous. I The body count may only rival Kill Bill Volume One, especially when she kills the crazy 88s. Yes. Uh, yes. Uma Thurman. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, the again, the axe to the head, the spine snapped on the wall. Uh, these are things to search out in the raid redemption. I know our group likes a good discussion of sexual things. Have you noticed that? They, they seem to love the talk. Anything related to sex, uh, Jeff? So I came across this article from uh, the website Man of Many, 
uh, by uh, the very distinguished Sam Mangione. Thank you, Sam, for your uh, your content here. The article is titled "Study Reveals Which Nation Has the Largest Average Penis Size." We're going to be talking about men's junk. Wow! Take a seat, get yourself a cold beverage, and listen, Barry. Which nation do you think, right off the top of your head, would have the largest schwanza? Your largest, uh, what do you call your uh, your cock? What do you think? Which nation? <laughs> I can tell you, uh, yeah. no spoilers here. <laughs> it's not one that you would automatically say, oh, yeah, it's got to be those guys. Okay. Now, the one that has the smallest might be a little more obvious, but uh, uh, <laughs> okay. the one that's, a, you know, n- nothing uh, I'm saying discriminatory, of course, but the one that is the, uh, <laughs> on average, has the biggest penal size at Barry. An average, mind you, this is not uh, just one, an average size for the entire nation of 6.93 inches. Wow. So seven inches. Yeah, that's the, that's average. the average size for this Which, nation. Some guys are walking around with 10 and 11 inches then, yeah, right? There are no Irish guys living in this country. I'm just going to say All that. Right. <laughs> this would be, this has got to be uh, a Scandinavian country. It's going to be Norway. Uh, uh. Got a second guess? Yeah, it's uh again remember, it's not a country that you would automatically Well Norway, think. that's what I was thinking. I thought, well, yeah, no, I, that's really well yeah. uh, since you said that, let me just uh, check the list here to see how far removed right. you are. Uh let's see. Uh, let me find out where those damn Norwegians are from uh the country of Norwegia. 45th. Oof. All right. So it's not so it's not a Scandinavian country. It's going to be uh it is a country I will say that I believe south of the equator. It's Ecuador. Ecuador known for large dongs. Really? Have you met a lot of Ecuadorian <laughs> men? <know. laughs> that's that's another Patreon episode. Yes. The the story of Barry and his night out with the group of we, Ecuadorian. We can't give that men. one away for free. Exactly. Yeah. We've got to charge the people for that one. However, shockingly, Barry Rose, you are 100% correct. What? It is them fucking Ecuadorians. Are you are, serious? Yes, scoring wow. all the women because of their huge cocks. Sons wow. of bitches. Yes, at an average of 6.93 inches, averaging that in the country. Holy crap, Barry, what is up with that? I, you could see it as this information gets out, the influx of single women to Ecuador now. Yes, yes. Yes. The migration uh, so <laughs> is, is number occurring. two. Uh, I'll just give you the top 10 real quick. Uh, right. Cameroon, number two, Bolivia, Sudan, Haiti, Senegal, Gambia, Cu- Cuban, Cuba. How the hell is Cuba on this list? I don't understand that. So uh, uh, the Netherlands and rounding out the top 10, because there were a few tied uh, with your average length, uh, number 10, Zambia. So now, Barry. Let's go the other direction. So a- Africa was represented, what was that, well, five, five, five countries? Yeah, let's just say the myth. I don't know, you know, Barry. Okay. But uh, what would you say would be the smallest sized genitalia? Well, so, you know, there are stereotypes, as we all know. Uh, I, I'm going to say it is, uh, it's Vietnam. It's Vietnam. Vietnam coming in at number 78. Okay. So was it wasn't at the very behind, bottom. by the way, may I mention 
Ireland at number 70 since I referenced the Irish. <laughs> okay. So it's not, it is uh, a total of 86 countries were uh, included in this survey, Barry. Gotta be, uh, it, if it's not Vietnam, it's, uh, I'll, I'll say China, but again, I, yeah, I don't know. Are you basing that on a stereotype? I, I think I am. How, how dare you? I know, it's terrible. You? I think uh, I am. China coming in at number 60, 69, which is also a good number, but a bad number for them. In this China show. ahead of Ireland. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Let me see. Just ahead. The Irish must see be. See what I did there? Just, yeah, uh, just ahead. ahead. Thank you. Yeah. They, the Irish must be up in arms about this losing to China on. <laughs> <laughs> That's all those Seriously. damn fucking potatoes. <laughs> Very Something. Number the, I was going to say number one on this hand, not number one. Number 86, last on the list, the smallest size genitalia on average again, Barry, with an average length based on this survey of 3.95 inches. Barry, those poor Cambodians. Cambodia, so close to Vietnam. Yes. Yeah. So I will give you your uh, <laughs> bottom six, if you will. Starting at number 80, we have Thailand, then Bangladesh. Hong Kong, Sri Lanka, the Philippines, Taiwan, and Cambodia coming in last. Three so point. The, wow. So the stereotypes are are apparently well, there is a factual basis based I, you know, off of this research, is what you're saying. I am not going to offer any commentary on various stereotypes because you know here on the Arcadian Network we do not practice stereotypes. We just talk about them uh, on on the surveys that have been done. However, now you're asking yourself, Barry. Where does the good old U.S. of A come in on this? So, Barry, tell me, what do you think that the uh, United States, uh, since uh, you and I both proud, uh, uh, you know, people here living in the United States, where do you think we come in on this list? We are coming in. One, do the math. Forty-two divided by sixty-nine and with plus seven, we're coming in at number eight. Barry, coming in. United States tied with Israel. Number 59, Barry. Oh, oh my God. The survey is wrong. So, I don't know. They, they, they used the old or the new math. Uh, sons of bitches, the average penis length in the United States, 5.35 inches. Wow. Wow, Barry. We are disappointing a lot of women out We are. <laughs> Well, join the club that we are. Absolutely. So uh, uh, any countries in particular that you want to know the size of their And again, Barry, you said the average length. Uh, so that means while, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, these uh, girls that, oh, yeah, my boyfriend packing the salad 11 inches, uh, you know, and these guys that are in uh, various uh, pornography films. Uh, there's also guys that are on the other end of the spectrum, some of which may be in our group. I'm not going to mention any names uh, that are, you know, uh Dragging the group down. I'm glad they didn't do, by the way, an average penis length uh, for our group because, boy, would a lot of people be disappointed, Barry. Yeah, dragging the group down. Uh, <laughs> so, do you want to mention any of the names you think might be dragging the group? Down? <laughs> I'm going to avoid that. What about what about Russia? Because obviously, right now, big hot topic: Russia, the Cold War, maybe start. You know, a lot going on. How do we compare to Russia? Let me see here. Uh, Going through the list here. Mongolia. You know, actually, I don't see Russia listed, whether it's because uh, they are 
broken down into different groups. Uh, I don't see that. I... Huh, no USSR, nothing like that? No, nothing like that. They are not on uh, You know what it is? Uh, Putin said, I'm not going to have you ask my, my yeah, country that question. That's what it is. And that's a reason why there's a war. So, Barry, you know, if there's one thing that you and I like talking about, it's number one, it's wrestling. Porn. porn. Now, well, that, no, that's yeah. one we're, we're not recording. All right. Uh, All right. But it's it's wrestling. Uh, it's uh, food. Am I at one for two so far or two for two? How am I doing? You're two for two. Absolutely. Thank you. That's a, yeah, I can do no math, as you know. So, you know, I uh, was uh, looking at the old Facebook the other day and saw my old friend Anthony Jeanette, uh, a.k.a. AJ Slambino. And, you know, here's a guy that wrestled as part of the tag team with uh, the the Vandals, uh, the Slambinos, and he's got his own friggin' TikTok channel dedicated to food. So that's a really good combination. Anthony, welcome to Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, my man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, we do appreciate it. So a uh, little uh, background info uh, for the listeners. Uh, tell us, in your days of youth as a wrestling fan, uh, when did you first start getting into wrestling? We always like to start at the beginning. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself as a wrestling fan. Who were you uh, into? When did you start? Well, uh, I mean, as I, far back as, as I can remember, my dad. He was a wrestling fan. He still is today. Um, he watched wrestling, so I, you know, I'd probably three, four years old, started watching wrestling. Um, the earliest I can remember, I remember WrestleMania three. I remember trying to stay awake because I was falling asleep, and I kept getting. We were at my grandmother's house in New York, and I was getting a paper towel, uh, a paper towel, and wetting it or a cloth and wetting it. And I kept washing my face to stay awake because I didn't want to miss the the show. Um, so that's the that's what I remember, like you know, my earliest rem- memory of wrestling. Uh, and I fell in love with it then, and I've been watching it ever since. So, who was the uh, first guy that really grabbed a hold of you and said, "Yeah, I really like this guy," or a uh, heel that you really hated? Who was the first guy that really grabbed your attention? Well, Hulk Hogan, of course, uh, especially WrestleMania three. Um, Huge fan of Hulk Hogan at that time, you know, as, as a little kid. Uh, and I love George the Animal Steel because I thought he was just so weird. And I was like, okay, this guy's weird. It's pretty cool. Um, and Ricky Steamboat. I love Ricky Steamboat. And I love Macho Man. Those were like the first uh, group of, of people I really liked. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really didn't hate anybody. I loved everyone. I thought I just thought it was so cool that I didn't even care if they were a bad guy or a good guy to me. It didn't matter. So... Yeah, and then that's I think that's an important key too, because when I was a little kid watching wrestling, and I, I think the first time I ever saw it, I was probably five years old. I, I think my favorites were the guys that were doing jobs on TV wearing masks like a Mr. X. For whatever reason, I just kind of attached myself to that. Anthony, without knowing your age, and I'm not gonna ask you because Jeff, I am a gentleman, isn't that that's correct? That's true. I, I've heard that, yeah. But did were were you around during the old territory days? No, I don't care. I'll tell you my age. I'm 41. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I WWF was what I remember first. Um, and then as I got older, AWA, because it was on TV when I got home from right. school. So it was on ESPN. Um, so th- those were the two that I watched as a kid, primarily. 
So when you when you got into wrestling, and you know, I mentioned that uh, you know I remember you as part of the uh, Vandals tag team. Uh, who was it that you approached about training to be a wrestler? Uh, and what what's our time frame? What year are we talking about? So 1998-99, uh, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and um, we used to do wrestling parties for all the pay-per-views and everything at my house. It was a big deal just because my dad was into wrestling. Um, I was into it. My brothers, uh, a lot of the neighbors were. So we would do pay-per-view parties, and one of the kids that we always used to invite over, uh, his name was Nick, and Nick, he was he was a year older than me, and Nick had heard about a wrestling school down in Miami. Uh, you talking about Nick Mayberry? No, no, oh, no, okay. no, no. His name was Nick Roland. Uh, I'll okay. never forget that. I don't even talk to the guy anymore, but I'll never forget that because uh, he approached me and said he had found a wrestling school in Miami. We were living in Boca Raton, and uh, it was called Rusty Brooks School of Hard Knocks. And he knew that I was a huge wrestling fan, obviously, and so was he. Um, and he said, we should all go. Let's go and check it out and see what happens. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's go. Like, let's do it. Um, so we packed into a car. I think we packed into two cars because there was quite a bit of us. And we went down to see Rusty. He was at his house in the backyard. The ring was set up. And uh, we all said we want to start training. And that was the beginning of it that day. Uh, I think I think there was 12 of us that went that first day. Um, but by two weeks in, everybody quit but me. I'm the only one who stayed. Everybody else is like, I can't do this. So they all quit. Uh, but I so, stuck to it because I loved it. So if you don't mind me asking, who were the guys that were, uh, other than Rusty, that were doing the training? So Flex Magnum was there um, at the time training. Uh, you had Rusty and Flex. They were the two main trainers. Um, Norman came around quite a bit at that time. Just Norman he, Smiley. Right, Norman Smiley. He was around quite a bit. Uh, and then, you know, you had uh, Blackheart Dave Johnson. Um, he was there kicking my ass every day. Um, you had Casey Thompson at the time. He was hanging around there. Uh, and then a bunch of just other just, you know, students. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you who else was there. Uh, but I, the primary training was Rusty and Flex. That's who the two trainers were. Gotcha. How was it like working with Norman? Norman is a guy that uh, with Jeff and I being fans in the South Florida wrestling scene going back to, you know, the 70s even, uh, we saw Norman in CWF. He worked for Florida in the mid to late 80s, and then he worked indies forever, found, I guess, a lot of success in Mexico and Japan. And uh, last I heard, had been with the WWE, and I don't know if he still is, for years as a trainer. What was that like, working with Norman? Uh, he is the nicest guy. Um he still works for WWE. He is a trainer at the at the um, performance center still. Uh, super sweet guy, still is to this day. Um, you know, I've seen him a couple times. Uh, you know, just at show NXT shows or or stuff like that, and uh, always always a doll to me. And uh, even a couple times, I reached out. He got me some tickets to some shows. So I could take the kids. Um, but really, so he didn't he didn't say WWEticks.com. You get my meaning there, Barry? I, yes, I got that. That's a private joke, Anthony. Please yeah, continue. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sure somebody got you with that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Norman never, Norman never did that to me. Uh, yeah, so we we um, he was always good. He's he's a master in the ring. Like he's a genius. That's why he works at WWE. I mean, he's just 
He knows how to wrestle the basics. Um, there's two things I always remember about Norman when I was, you know, and, and when, when I was training, I mean, he was, you know, in WCW. Um, so it was always cool to have him around, but Norman didn't have a gear bag. He always brought his, his gear in a plastic Publix bag and he drove a Cadillac. And I always used to say, you got WCW money. Why are you driving a, a, a old Cadillac and you don't have a gear bag? You have a plastic bag. Uh, that was always the two things that stuck out to me, but I guess he was notoriously cheap. That's why. So, well, I, I won't tell if you don't, Barry. So, uh, so let me ask you. I, I mentioned about uh, the Vandals tag team. Uh, yeah. When did that first start? How did you get together with your partner and the Vandals, and uh, how your uh, career kind of took off as a tag team, not just in the South Florida scene, but uh, all over the state and in the South. Yeah, so we um, we went to high school together. So he was not part of the initial group who showed up to the uh, that first time of training. But we played football together. And after everyone quit, uh, you know, I was still going, and I was like, well, I don't want to go by myself. It was like an hour drive every, you know, hour back and forth. So I said to him one day, you want to to my my buddy Eric? I said, hey you want to come to wrestling? Like, you know, we were just finishing high school up. Neither of us were going to play college football or anything. And uh, he was like, yeah. So he went uh, and he was good too. And he stuck with it. And we were singles wrestlers. I, I was kind of doing my own thing. And then he was, uh, he was um, Eric Stratton was the name. Eric Stratton, the third, that was the name that Rusty gave him. That's Eric Stratton Otter um, from Animal House. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Eric Stratton III. And He's pre-med. Someone's ringing my door. He's pre-med, correct. Pre-med, pre-law. What's the difference, Jeff? Yeah. yeah. So Eric Stratton III was his, the name that Rusty gave him, and he was supposed to be like a Triple H, like the arrogant Triple H from back in the day. Um, you know, with, with like the the from he was from like you know he gave him some town in Connecticut he was from. Uh, but then we were like, wait a second, why are we not tagging? So we asked. Rusty, could we start tagging? And Rusty said, yeah, it's a great idea. So we um, we decided to um, we decided to, you know, go by the Vandals. Uh, it was a name that my real brother had thought of. Uh, Joey, he, Joey had wrestled, too. He, he was part of the original group, but he, he ended up quitting. He got hit in the head with a tennis racket by Fabulous Frank, if you remember him, and Yo, split yes. his head open. So he never came back. Uh, after that, um, so we we ended up we decided to tag uh, and go by the Vandals, and we were going to be brothers from the mean streets of Boca Raton. Now, anybody that's ever been to Boca knows there's not a mean street there. <laughs> uh, so that was the 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 joke. But um, we had such good chemistry together because we were such close friends that I knew what he was thinking, he knew what I was thinking without even having to talk to each other. Uh, like in the ring, it was it was amazing. So. Um, yeah, we, we, we started getting booked. Um, you know, Rusty got us booked all different kinds of places in Florida. And then uh, FOW, run by Bobby Rogers, Future of Wrestling, he saw us and was like, you know, I'll use these guys. And once Bobby started using us uh, for FOW, we were getting booked all over the state of Florida um, because – you know, we were kind of on a uh, put out there a little bit more at that time because FOW was like at that time was early 2000s was on fire in Florida. So um, then we started getting booked everywhere just because of, of that. And we were, you know, put the titles on us and 
Um, that caught Ron Nimi caught wind of that for IPW in Tampa, and then he started using us, and he put the NWA Florida titles on us and tag team titles. And uh, just because of that, we were just, we were getting booked everywhere and anywhere. So um, you know, it was pretty. It was a pretty cool time for sure. Do you remember who you had your best match with, like in your opinion, or who your best opponents were? Um. So we we. Uh, I would say as much as, you know, rest in peace, Dave Johnson, the Blackheart. We worked with Dave Johnson and Hack Myers so many times. Uh, There was two teams. They were one that me and Dave could get in the ring and work a match without ever having to talk about it. Um, We just had, like, we just knew. I knew what he wanted to do. He knew what I could do and what, what I wanted to do. Uh, and then the other one were the market crashers. If you remember them, uh, I forgot what their what they call what their individual names were, but the market crashers. We worked them, I would say, in a two year span, probably a couple hundred times. <laughs> so uh, again, we we didn't have to really talk about anything. It was just natural with us. Gotcha, Anthony. What do you think your highest profile match would have been? Did you ever wind up doing any shots for the Federation or WCW or anything like that? Uh, no, but, uh, not for WWE or, or WWF or WCW, but we did do, um, TNA impact one year anniversary show, 2003. Oh. Yeah, it was 2003. We went to the, uh, Bill Barron's who's a, you know, huge, huge indie, I guess, name in the, in the business. And yep. he's in Georgia. He got us booked, um, on that show in Nashville, Tennessee at the fairgrounds, the famous fairgrounds uh, arena. Uh, it was me and my partner, and they gave us a third partner, a guy named Sal Renew, who Renew is from, he's from here in Georgia. Uh, and we wrestled R-Truth, Road Dog, and Conan. Um, and it's funny because that was in 2003. I've been searching for that video of that shand. Uh, two weeks ago, a promoter in South Carolina said, oh my God, this just got posted to YouTube like a couple hours ago. It's your match. And it was the match that I've been looking for since 2003. I found it. The guy, this guy was, a, uh, I guess, a worker, has had it since 2003. And for some reason, he said, uh, I sent him a message. He said, I took, it, I took this tape out. and was like, oh, I never put this on YouTube. And he put it on YouTube that day. So that was probably the coolest thing. And then, you know, the, the, one of the biggest shows we ever wrestled on was for Future of Wrestling in Davey Are- the Davy Rodeo Arena. Uh, it was us against... Christian York and Joey Matthews. I think there was three or four thousand people there at the for an indie show at that time was crazy. That was the uh, that was the one with uh, Dusty and Terry Funk on it, right? And Kevin right. Sullivan, Dusty Funk, Abdullah, and Sullivan in the main event. Yeah, front row, Barry, front row. How was it? Oh, it was a great show. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Mike Graham yeah. was on that show. As a matter of fact, Mike Graham was on it. Norman yeah. Smiley was on it. Uh, Christopher Daniels, low key. That show was stacked, stacked. Uh, Barry Horowitz was on it. That was a stack show. So, so all these, was, all, these uh, all these guests we've had on our show, Barry. So you know we got that going for us. That's true. Barry Horowitz multiple times on our show. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah. So um, eventually, your the Vandals kind of runs their course. And how did AJ Slambino come about? Uh, so I I kind of like took a step back from wrestling, and I uh, you know I have two kids, and uh, I went through a divorce and I 
became a single dad. So I had my kids like been there, done that, brother. Been there, yeah. done that. <laughs> ding ding. Yeah. Uh, I had my kids twenty four seven, so they live with me. They've been living with me for twelve years. So I had to take a step back from wrestling. And my phone rings one day, and it's Howard Brody. Howard Brody, the 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 promoter from I guess he did NWA. Uh, he was the president of NWA at one point. Um, gives me a call and says, "I do we know Howard here. Brody, Barry." Yeah, just a little bit, only for about 40 years. But, yeah, we know who he is. Yeah, you, uh, who Mr. Vegas. Brody, right? <laughs> yeah. Get him on your show. I'll tell you, he's got stories. Um, which, by the way, I told him I was doing the show today. So he, he may he may reach out and want to get on himself. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Again. But, uh, <laughs> I, I can't imagine Howard would do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, we he gave me a call, and I didn't know him very well. Uh, at the time, I, I wrestled for him for Ring Warriors when he was doing some house shows here and there, only because somebody else had got me on the show. And, and Howard, like, we, we didn't know each other. I don't think he really liked me. Uh, but some other people pulled some strings and got me on some shows. Well, he had this idea to come up with an Italian mafia group for Ring Warriors, and he wanted me to be a part of it. And I was like, well, I don't wrestle anymore, really. And he was like, well, you got you know, a couple months to get in shape. So I started training. Uh, the team was going to be me, uh, Francisco Siazzo, who is a, another Florida guy. Um, yes. Big Vito LaGrasso, who was, you know, former ECW, WCW, WWF guy. Uh, and that was going to be the team. And we were going to be an Italian mafia group. And Ring Warriors is going to have television. That's what we were, we were told. So... We do the first round of it. You know, I get in shape. I start wrestling again. And uh, we do this this round of tapings. And uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Um, I called Howard that next week. And I said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I said, I, it's awful. And he's like, why? I said, because Big Vito LaGrasso, who has been everywhere, I get it, uh, isn't letting me be me. And I said, I don't want to do it. I feel like I'm some fake character who is reading a script and it sounds awful and I can't stand it. Um, and he said, no, 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 we're going to fix it. So we have a talk, all of us, and they're going to let me be myself. Uh, so when we came back for the next round of tapings, um, they allowed me to just be me. And it was a lot of fun. And I was like, OK, all right, I'll, I can stick with this. I can do this. Uh, you know, it was, it was just I was able to be a character I wanted to be. Um, and the whole Ring Warriors thing that time didn't work out. So it kind of like it fell off. Everything stopped. There was really no TV. Uh, it all just died out. And I decided I was going to keep wrestling. Uh, but I kept the name, the Slambino gimmick and the name and all that. But I decided that I was going to go a different route with the character. And I went to a food route. Sounds weird, I know, uh, but I'm a huge foodie, so you know that. Um, I started to incorporate food into my matches, which I don't even know what made me think of it. I just thought, like, hey, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was funny. Uh, and there. So, wait, 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 wait! I, I got to interrupt you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't mean to. Have you ever seen the famous Don Morocco match where he eats the sub during the match? No. I've never seen okay. that. I'm going to have to forward that uh, match because yes. it's hilarious. He's he's actually working in the ring while he's eating a sub, uh, and it's very funny. Please continue. I've never seen that. I got to watch that. 
Send Please continue. Yeah. So uh, at that time, we had there was a group of friends. A uh, couple guys were in the business. Uh, me, a guy named Blake Chadwick. He's a ring announcer, commentary. Um, and then there was another guy, uh, Sean Prime. He was a, a worker down in South Florida. And then there was a, a guy named Ben Temples. He he was a fan and involved in some of the Comic Con stuff. And then there was the uh, which I'm sure you know, you probably know the super fan, uh, Jackie Johnson, Double J. He's passed away since. Uh, we had like a like tight little group. We were we were really close friends, and um, this group of us, and we were like at the time the Bullet Club was getting hot in in Japan, and we were like, oh, we should call ourselves our own group, and we decided to call ourselves the Breakfast Club, and literally stole the Bullet Club's get the, their logo and replaced the skull with a donut. And it just we put breakfast club with pieces of bacon and a donut. Um, <laughs> and and we were like calling ourselves that. So then we decided, well, the guys that are wrestling, why don't we use it in wrestling? So I just started using the breakfast club as my gimmick, but still calling myself AJ. Um, you know, everybody knew me from the Slambinos, but I was doing this breakfast gimmick. So in the matches, I would I would come out to the ring with donuts. I would throw donuts to the crowd. I would use donuts in the match. I would use cereal. I would use whatever kind of food I could get my hands on. Uh, we even went as far to build tables made out of donut boxes or pizza boxes. So, and you know, we would do like the Dudleys get the table, and the table would come out, and it was made out of donut boxes. And then I'd power bomb somebody through the donut table, uh, and the crowd would go apeshit over nothing. Um, so I did that for a while, and then. Good old Howard Brody called me again and said, Ring Warriors was going to WGN America, national television. We've got a syndicate 12-week show to film in Las Vegas. Uh, so put the damn donuts down and get in shape. So I did. And uh, he changed the, the dynamic of it. It was going to be still me and Francisco Siazzo, but we were going to be managed by Disco Inferno, Glenn Gilberti of WCW. Uh, he was in WCW, you know. So... We, uh, I got into the best shape of my life. I was down to the weight I was in high school. That's how I took it that serious because I was going to be on TV. WGN was on like 80 million TVs in, in America. So I was like, okay, there's a chance somebody can see me. Uh, yeah, and then we went to Vegas. We filmed in August and October of, I want to say it was 2017 or 18. And uh, that was an incredibly fun time. That those two months of filming was amazing. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing the gimmick, a lot of fun cutting promos and, and just being myself. And uh, we were an Italian mobster gang and it was funny because we were comedic. We weren't really gangsters. It was funny. Uh, but that was probably, that was probably the most fun I had. And I got to be on TV. Um, the coolest thing was, is that, you know, it was on Saturday mornings, eight o'clock. And my dad would call me every morning at nine o'clock, every Saturday at nine o'clock while it was on for that 12 weeks and would say, I just watched you on TV. So for my dad to be able to watch me on national television was probably the coolest thing. Yeah. So I got to point out uh, uh, our producer, Lou Kippelman, uh, chiming in here. Did you know that in Portland in the late 1980s, there was a group called The Breakfast Club? So I didn't find that out until I wrestled in Portland uh, in 2000. 18-ish, I guess it was, or 19. Uh, it was probably, no, it was 2017 or 18. I wrestled in Portland as the Breakfast Club, and uh, somebody told me about that. 
um, when I was there. And I was like, oh, so I like looked it up and uh, did some research on it. And uh, wrestling in Portland was cool. And was, I wrestled there for uh, a couple times throughout the year. And, uh, but I, I, that's when I had heard about it. Yeah, it's uh, it, there's been so much great. Was there an area within the country or within really the world or anywhere that you wanted to work in that you never had the opportunity? I mean, like coming up, I always wanted to work in Japan, and and sure. I think part part of that was because um, when I when I started uh, a little bit after I had started training MVP, uh, who's you know obviously in WWE, um, he started training. Uh, a little bit after me. So we became friends and uh, we used to travel together. It was always me, him and my partner, Eric. Uh, we, and sometimes Billy Fives would come with us, another South Florida guy. Um, but we spent so much time with MVP for probably a good year and a half to two years. He was a huge Japanese wrestling fan and he would show us all these VHS tapes he had. And, uh, I was always like, it'd be so cool to wrestle there. And that was his dream, too. And he ended up obviously going there. He was there for New Japan. He was the first American, I believe, IPWG or IWGP champion, uh, American uh, intercontinental champion. So he got to live out that dream. I never did. Uh, I did have a tryout um, sometime early 2000s for New Japan uh, with it was in Tampa at the school that was owned by Steve Kern and um, Jimmy Del Rey, uh, we did a tryout and they thought I needed more size on me. That was the, the only feedback I had. Bad feedback I got was put some size on, uh, which I didn't understand at the time. I was, you know, 20 years old. I was like, no, oh, these guys can go after themselves, put some size on. Uh, I probably would have got killed in Japan if I went with the size I was then. So, but that was, that was the one place. And then the UK, I would love to go wrestle there just because that ties into my new, my new food gimmick. So, um, I don't wrestle anymore, but I think I would break out the tights for that. So let's move on now to uh, your latest venture and how that got started. So, you you know, you discussed when you were doing the Slambino thing, uh, how you would incorporate food in the matches. How did you, Anthony Jeanette, become a viral sensation? <laughs> so I got on TikTok November 2019. Uh, a coworker of mine was like, you got to get on this app TikTok. And I'm like, that's for my kids, not me. Like, I see my kids doing it. He's like, I'm telling you, you know, uh, you got to get on it. You got to get on this. It's it's like the next big thing. So I created an account and I, I wasn't doing food things. I was doing like comedy and stuff with my kids and stupid dancing. But then a year ago. Uh, it's been a, it was May of 20, yeah, May of 2021. I had a friend that was on TikTok. She was in the UK and I was at Publix, the supermarket. And all of a sudden Publix had a British section and it said British. So I filmed a TikTok of everything in the section and I tagged her and I said, you know, oh, look at this. We have a British section here. Well, the post went viral. Like it had like a million views and people commenting about everything they saw in the video. So I was like, okay, I think I just struck gold. I went back to Publix the next day. I bought every single one of every item on the shelf. Like wow. I just literally took one of every item and I bought it. And I started filming videos one by one with those items. But the one in particular was beans on toast, huge British snack. And I tried it and I made a video. Um, that video hit 
two million views like in the first like two days. <laughs> yeah. Barry, hold then, on, hold up, Barry, hold yeah. on. Let me check. <laughs> Checking our records here. Yeah, that's more people than listen to our show. Go ahead. <laughs> Clearly, our format sucks, Jeff. If, exactly. if, if that's we need happens. to start doing more episodes on beans on toast. Yes, I was gonna do. say just start eating beans on toast. And get yes. that uh, it, the post went viral. People went crazy. That was in the summer of 2021. So it was a couple months after I had started this. And uh, I was like, okay, this is obviously like my gimmick now. Uh, and, and I think it's weird because TikTok is an interesting place. Being a former wrestler, I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, I could just work everybody. Like, you know, you know it's like, you know, I, I watch and that's my mentality. I watch TikTok and go, wow, like people don't get it. Like, this is so easy because you're performing, you're an entertainer, you know, you, you're working everybody just like you are as a wrestler. A lot of people don't get that and they struggle with that. They take it too serious and like real. But I love food. So I was like, well, this is great because it's a gimmick that's really me. But, you know, obviously I know how to how to play it up and work it up. So I just started just kept. That's my content. I just literally eat food from from the UK, from British food. And it started to take off where two. I got some articles written on me in the UK, which I didn't even know about. I started getting messages one morning saying you're all over the TV stations. You're all over the radio. There's newspaper articles on you. And I'm like, well, that's weird because nobody's reached out to me once. Lad Bible, which is a, I guess, an online article. And then Daily Mail UK, they both did articles on me, um, which are huge publications, online publications. Yeah. So once that happened and it got on the radio and it got on TV, uh, everything I did went viral. Like, I, I didn't matter what I posted, there'd be a million uh, you know, people just watching and viewing and stuff. So it was pretty, it was pretty wild how that happened. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at today. I'm still doing the same thing, still eating the same food. But now I get, I get people sending me food to my PO box. Uh, you know, sometimes I can get five, six packages a week. And then, you know, I've got some connections with the, with a place here in, in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, it's a British store. And they take care of me and, you know, we've got a good relationship. So that's been pretty cool, too. So so in understanding that, you, I don't know, I, I, don't, I won't even say love of British food because I haven't asked you what you really think about it yet. But right. with that, I guess you're and – and then I'll tell you what I think of British food. But I certainly don't want to offend any of your three million followers. So. Or John <laughs> Lee. We don't want or to John Lee will kick my ass, obviously. So i got to be really careful about that. But – Really, th this whole because you walked down the aisle that had UK foods, and with that, why did you decide UK foods? When I've walked down the international aisle, and you've obviously got Mexican, uh, you've got kosher, you've got Asian, all different types of Asian. What was it that drew you to the uh, the British or the English version? For me, it probably would have been the Cadbury chocolate, Jeff. You know, I love that. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because I figured too, like, I mean. You eat Mexican food and Asian food and everybody eats that everywhere. But to see some of the stuff I had never seen before. So in that section, I was like, okay, like I've never had beans on toast in my life. I never even thought about eating beans on toast. So I was like, this is, this is like, you know, different. Nobody really, and especially from an American standpoint, you know, my, my whole thought wasn't even like, I thought Americans would think it was cool, which it's totally opposite. I have almost no American followers. Americans could give two craps about me. So kind of like I, us, Jeff, you know, very similar. 
I was, uh, I yeah. was not going to Almost that. identical. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So that, that's how it happened. I mean, it's just, it was, it was different. And I love Cadbury. So that, that their chocolate is far superior to our chocolate. Yep. I'd agree with that. So Anthony, uh, our man, Luke Kippelman chiming in, wanting to know, have you had the opportunity yet to try any spotted dick? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, but, uh, I do. I've seen it in Publix, uh, and and it's funny because uh, not to bring Howard Brody up again because I don't want to put him spotted dick. you said it. I, yeah, right. I and I don't yeah. want to put him over more than once. But uh, he actually trust me, Howard's me. sending you a check as we speak. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Sure, sure. He actually mentioned it the other day that uh, have you tried spotted dick yet? And I actually I haven't. Uh, I haven't tried it. Nobody sent it to me yet. So, uh, but I, I guess I could buy it. Well, there's some there's some really silly names uh, there. There's obviously Spotted Dick, which I knew somebody was going to go for. And I'm not going to bring this up, but cigarettes obviously have another name over in the UK. But right. then you also have Bangers and Mash. And yes. and while, you know, it's, it almost sounds like a movie I saw when I was about 15 on an old Betamax. Did you go through the beaded curtain to get that? With a fake ID, Jeff, I had to do that. Absolutely. (laughs) But, but with that too, and and then you eat bangers and mash and it's actually pretty good. I will tell you, uh, there are two foods that I got one, which is British a hundred percent. And fuck, I got to totally remember the name. It's pudding. What kind of pudding was it? It's essentially a dessert. You're talking about Yorkshire pudding? Thank you. That's it. Yorkshire pudding. Right, right. And then there was blood sausage. Right. So I had both. Yeah. Okay. So I got to say Yorkshire pudding. I actually, I I know what it is, but but I still, I was okay. But I tried the blood sausage. I got to tell you that I'll eat, you know, I don't care. I'll eat it. Blood sausage was one of those things. I took a bite and I'm like, people actually eat this and actually like it. Holy shit. I, I like it. There you go. Zang. I do. I actually like you eat it for breakfast. Blood sausage you eat for breakfast? Yeah. You eat, so you eat an English breakfast consists of blood sausage, English bacon, which is different than our bacon. Uh, you get tomatoes, you get beans, toast, you know, maybe a crumpet. They've got, you know, the bangers, which are like sausage. Uh, it, it, I don't know how they can eat that. Like on a regular, it's a lot of food. Like it's right. an insane amount of food for breakfast. It's really good, but it's a lot of food. Eggs, they put eggs in there. It's it's a lot of food. So just for the uninitiated listening, uh, could you explain what blood sausage is? I don't even know. I just oh, know it's called blood very, sausage. Absolutely. So it is, and I believe it's actually Argentinian in nature, which would make sense. But at the same time, it's essentially rice and grains mixed with blood put into a sausage casing and then grilled. And when I ate it, which has been many years at this point, it may have been overcooked, but when I cut into the sausage, it was very dry, but it had the flavor of blood, which is kind of metallic, kind of like a penny as the old saying. So very similar. So you can taste the blood, but that texture is almost sand-like. So that, that was my experience, at least Anthony. Yeah, no, you're you're right. You're right. I, I just if you if you fry it up nice, it, it's uh, it's not that bad. So for anyone who's never seen any of your uh, TikTok videos, generally speaking, so you've got uh, a a food, you got the beans and toast in front of you, and you're going to try them. How long do your videos last? 
I never go over a minute. So okay, I usually so go, yeah, anywhere between 15 seconds to 60 seconds. I never go over a minute. Uh, if I do, it's something, you know, it's probably not a food video, uh, but uh, I usually I, I stay in that time frame. But I'm, I'm, you know, again, being a wrestler, I'm good at sticking to my time. Uh, so I know, you know, you got you to keep it short. People's attentions are short. That's why TikTok is so popular because and, and YouTube shorts and, and all that stuff is because people don't want to watch long videos anymore. Their attention span is short. So they want to watch short yeah. videos and go to the next video. Yeah, those those four minute videos on MTV are just too long now, Barry. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have a short attention span. Anthony's exactly. right though. Anthony's right because you can put anything. I put shit up on Facebook all the time, and it'll be a photo, and I'll say taken on this date in the in let's say two wrestlers, and then somebody will comment and say, "When was this photo taken?" and "Who are the wrestlers?" It's it's right in fucking in front of you. So he's right about the short attention span. So Anthony. Knowing your, I, and I don't know if love or admiration is the correct term for, for British food, let's remove British food for a minute. What's your favorite type of food? What's your favorite, whether it's Mexican, Italian, Chinese, plain American, what would it be? Italian, for sure. Gotcha. For sure. I like the way you were definite about it. Oh, yeah. Italian, for sure. What's your go-to when you step into an Italian restaurant? Pasta. Well, I, I like, first of all, I, I got to make, it's my own, my own cooking. First of okay. all. Okay. No, I like pasta. I, I, a bit of a food I, snob there, Barry. I, I like it though. That's, bit, I respect bit. that. <laughs> and, and I'm very specific. Like I like rigatoni pasta with, with homemade sauce and like meatballs and a little al dente, the pasta. Yes. A little al dente. My, my, my girlfriend's standing here telling me I like my pasta crispier. I, I like it a little al dente. So. Yeah, I rush it. I don't like to wait for the water to boil. I mean, yeah, well, it, it, the correct way to make pasta, according to the Italians at Rome, it's supposed to be a little al dente and then making your own sauce. And if you're Sicilian, right. like I'm not, it's gravy, right? But that that to me is such a great way because uh, I, I do the same thing once a month as I'll make some sauce. Takes me like five hours. I give it plenty of time to cook and to boil down a little bit so it's rich, mm. it's hearty. And then I'll I'll stick it in the freezer, whatever I'm not using. So I have sauce at a later date. That's uh, smart. Yeah. Homemade sauce, way to go though. Absolutely, Anthony. Way to go. Yeah, way to go. I I and we it's kind of crazy because growing up I ate pasta, I mean, almost every night. And uh that's how my kids are now. They're like, you know, they want to eat pasta every night. And now I'm like, okay, you know. We eat pasta three nights a week. You know, I can't eat it every night, but uh, sauce gives me like acid reflux. At, at I, I made a Facebook post today about uh, I'm 41 years old now, and and I can't even eat sauce anymore because it gives me like forced <laughs> acid reflux. I was like, how did this happen to me? Yep. But you know, uh, yeah, pasta all the way. That would be my go-to meal. So let me ask you. Uh, you've uh, certainly got yourself a following. Uh, of all these people that watch you checking out and trying the British food, are you going to stick with the British food for the time being, or are you looking to branch out to a different uh, uh, variety or ethnicity of food? Excellent use of the word ethnicity there, Barry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried. I tried other like I I did some like Italian pastries. No, nobody cares. I did some uh, American stuff. Nobody cares. I've done some German, some. I, nothing. 78% of my followers on TikTok are in the UK. So that's all that really matters, I guess, right now. <laughs> so we'll yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, too. And I got to say, too, I, 
I love British people because I'm assuming there's probably a couple million going to be listening right now. So let's clearly get it out there. We love the big Brits. fans, big fans, huge fans of the yeah. Brits. We love everything about the country. The food at times is suspect, but I will say the professional wrestling coming from England is probably my favorite ever. I love the old, you know, they, they essentially were doing a lot of hooking and shooting before right. we even understood what any of that meant. So love that. So given that, have you have, and I, I think you answered this. I, I know from a wrestling point you did. Have you been over to the UK since you've exploded with your videos? No, I've never been there. Wow. I've never been over there. No. All right. So everybody listening at this point, what are, what are you guys waiting for? You've got to get Anthony over to the UK. We've got several of our listeners that are based in the UK, but I, I'm guessing, you know, you get a sponsor, we get you over there. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I saw oh, yeah. all expenses paid bear. All ex- exactly. Exactly. That's the, that's the goal. So I don't have to pay for anything. Yes. So why don't you uh, real quick, uh, tell the folks who are interested in checking you out on TikTok, uh, how do they find you? Uh, what's your, uh, TikTok address, if you will. So all my social media is under the same name because you know, branding and all, uh, it's AJ Slambino. So if you just put AJ Slambino as one word into YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram and TikTok, I'll come up and then uh, give me a follow. So, all right. Well, hey, man, we certainly want to say how much fun we've had talking wrestling and food with you. I uh, want to encourage all of our listeners to give you a, a, a look on the old TikTok and uh, watch you uh, experimenting with the uh, British food. Uh, Barry, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be jumping into the uh, the blood sausage and the bangers and mash uh, anytime soon, but I'll, I'll take your word for it since you tried it. Anthony, once again, my man, thanks for joining us. It was good talking with you. Hey, thank you. And, and Jeff, when I see you here in Atlanta, you know I'm bringing you some sort of British food you got to try with me. Uh, awesome. uh, uh, I smell a challenge, Barry. Love I'm it. Just awesome. Saying. <laughs> just saying. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. All right, Barry, we're rounding the turn, heading for home. Hope you are enjoying your vacation. Remember to use a little sunblock. Uh, don't be using, oh, well, first of all, uh, sun ends uh, not around anymore, but uh, that wouldn't be a big concern for you anymore at this point. <laughs> sun end not going to be something. And and also what you don't want to do is you you don't want to put the, you know, hold up. Remember when guys used to hold up the uh, the pieces of metal to try to attract the sun and, and uh, you know, uh, have it deflect into their face. Yeah, you don't want to be doing that because if you're in Florida, chances are, Barry, you're getting enough sun. What do you think? Yeah, that is crazy too. And I that's something I never did. But when you see people, and I, I haven't seen that in so many years, so I don't know if that even exists. But you got to remember too, when we were kids, Jeff, and I try to talk to uh, to people that are not our age or people that maybe don't like Caddyshack that definitely aren't our age, I, I try to look at it and I try to say, when I was a kid growing up, you know what sunblock was? It was that fucking white zinc. That was it. It was that and baby oils all they had out there. Yeah, my um, sister used to use baby oil when she went to the beach. I can remember that, which uh, probably not advisable, but I digress. No, not these days it's not. Yeah, certainly not. So anyway, we appreciate you checking us out, folks. Uh, episode 252, Breaking k for my co-host, Bear Rose, and our producer, the sweet man, the city by the bay, Lou Kippelman. I am Jeff Bowdrin. Occasionally, sometimes, every once in a while, someone calls me the booker. But uh, that being said, Louis, take us out, my friend, and we will see you next week. Breaking k with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network.